Reshaping America, Kurt Flewelling here, having fun in the studio. Oh, with my favorite producer. Oh, I'm telling you, we're just having a blast today. Um, all sorts of things to talk about. The old New Hampshire primary, um, Roger Stone, uh, socialism, communism, Bernie. It's all just so dysfunctional. Um yeah, I, I uh, the uh, Nate Silver, the old five thirty eight guy, which I'm I'm surprised he's still in business after getting it so wrong with the uh, Hillary and Donald Trump thing um, a few years ago. But he's still making a living, I guess, and uh, he put out some more predictions. And um, the take home that I got when I read some of his stuff was, if you like chaos, you got it in the Democrat Party right now, and. Um, I think what was really interesting is I, I printed um, the uh, the delegates and the percentage of votes in the uh, New Hampshire primary, and obviously the first five folks were very interesting. We could talk about that, but the thing that was really kind of wild to me is how many people actually got votes and and you know a fair amount of votes and. You know, <clears throat> a couple of those candidates, Kamala Harris and uh, Cory Booker, uh, I mean, they, they put out a lot of money, a lot, a lot, a lot of money in a lot of time over the last year. And a guy that was a congressman right up the road from us here in Philly, uh, Joe Sestak over in Delaware County. Actually, I didn't even know he was running for president. I didn't know he declared. I didn't know he dropped out. And I try to pride myself in knowing these things. But um, when I'm looking at this long laundry list of folks, old Joe Death Tax is on there. And he garnered 143 votes, which is right in between Kamala Harris and Cory Booker. And I can guarantee you he didn't spend near amount of time and money as those two former candidates uh, did. And they all pretty much got a handful of votes up in New Hampshire. Uh, Ulian Castro got 81 votes. Um, Deval Patrick didn't even know if he was still around. He got, um, you know, he's a governor of a, uh, of a bordering state. So he got uh, more than, and some of the folks that I'm uh, mentioning, uh, Tulsi Gabbard, Actually got a fair amount. But um, the big five here, or three if you want to call it, is um, Sanders, Buttigieg, Klobuchar, Elizabeth Warren, Joe Biden. Uh, many people think Joe Biden is absolutely toast. He is not, um, despite the fact that he is, a, is a, just a walking gaffe machine and I feel is unfairly criticized sometimes for some of his gaffes. But um, he was fifth place and a distant fifth place. And people say he's done or he's, he's on life support. But if I know anything about Nevada or South Carolina, I wouldn't be at all surprised if Joe Biden um, leapfrogged a couple of the people that were ahead of him in New Hampshire. Um, at first blush, it may say it may look like Bernie's got some momentum. But 25.7% of the vote, which was a little bit more than Pete Buttigieg, 
for somebody that this is his home turf, basically, the next state over, didn't do as well as he did uh, four years ago. And Pete Buttigieg, um, being, you know, a lowly mayor from a Midwest town, um, Bernie Sanders should be, you know, quite a bit ahead of him, if if you ask me. Um, Elizabeth Warren, a senator from a neighboring state, 9.2% of the vote. That's actually more troubling than I think the Joe Biden campaign uh, would be. Joe Biden never really was a big fit in um, in New Hampshire, never really resonated all that much with New Hampshire voters. But Elizabeth Warren, um, I mean, she's a senator from a neighboring state. She should have done a, a much better showing than that. But as I said before, um, I, th- I, I agree with Nate Silver that um, – uh, chaos is probably the 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 word of the day because when we go on to the Nevada caucus and then subsequently the uh, South Carolina primary and then on uh, March third, I believe it is uh, Super Tuesday, where there are a number of states. Um, any one of these five people could be number one or number five in any of those states for a myriad of different reasons which all kind of spells brokered convention, which if you are a, uh, a Democrat and a Trump hater and somebody that just at all costs wants a warm body in there with a D next to their name to get rid of Donald Trump, that's a pretty, um, that's a pretty good scenario for you. Um, the Democrats are much more comfortable in chaos than Republicans uh, historically are. Republicans uh, don't like brokered conventions. Um, uh, Ronald Reagan didn't push it in 76 when he could have. Rick Santorum figuring history was going to repeat itself in 2012. And he would live um, to see another uh, election in 2016. And that was not to happen. Um, Both of those could have easily been brokered conventions, but they weren't. Um, I'm not predicting that this one will be, but <clears throat> I wouldn't be at all surprised if in three weeks and um, uh, us clearing Super Tuesday that none of those top five have uh, bailed and Joe Biden could get some air breathed back into him. Uh, Elizabeth Warren could do something. Amy Klobuchar was very interesting um, in – Coming in a, a, a somewhat close third, um, I think she's kind of benefiting from the fact that her affect, her demeanor, her professionalism, I guess, on stage is um, is far and away superior to the other four top five candidates. Um, if you look at her legislative um, – or, or excuse me, yeah, her legislative record – um, she isn't much better on the ideological continuum um, as far as her leanings to the left than Sanders, Buttigieg, Warren, or Biden. But because those four individuals um, in their personal life or up on stage have said some of the most bizarre things, Amy Klobuchar actually benefits greatly by being, uh, how should we say this, stately, 
um, professional, uh, tempered, if you will. It's kind of like that NPR syndrome. Um, you can put NPR on and hear the most outlandish things in the world. But if it's at a nice decibel level and there's oboes and flutes and woodwind instruments, I guess oboes and flutes are woodwind instruments, are playing in the background, then it all seems quite palatable. So Amy Klobuchar is um, no less dangerous than many of these other people with her policies, but I think she benefits from the the craziness of the other four individuals, and um, she could make some hay. Uh, maybe not in Nevada, maybe not in South Carolina, but she may certainly in her home state of Minnesota on Super Tuesday and some other states that are in close proximity. And I would not be surprised if when we clear Super Tuesday in three weeks that all five of these individuals have a fair amount of um, uh, delegates and the situation is no clearer than it is today. And a lot of people would say that who benefits that, uh, excuse me, from that the most? Michael Bloomberg. Um, Michael Bloomberg, formerly a Republican, although quite a soft Republican, um, uh, kind of like Rudy Giuliani. If you're going to be a Republican in the largest city in the United States, you probably aren't going to be too far to the right of center. Um, you're probably going to be... Um, more ideologically uh, to the left than Democrats in many uh, cities and states down south. So uh, the fact that he was a, a Republican, that was kind of an opportunistic move on his part. He has since become a Democrat and is pumping absolutely large sums of money into um, into this race. Presumably because nobody is really too excited about any of those five or some of the second tier candidates as well. And the conventional wisdom is none of them could beat Donald Trump. And um, as I've said on this show several times, um, I kind of believe that. But I have just seen people vote for people with D's next to their name or R's next to their name. And really, really, really overlook a lot just to get their party's individual uh, elected. And that has always been very problematic to me. That's why I left the Republican Party a number of years ago. I am an independent. Um, it you know, kind of sucks that you can't vote in the primary. But um, I think blind loyalism to uh, any party starts to... Uh, blur the way we look at um, the issues of the day. And as I've said uh, several occasions on this show, if we as faith-based voters um, look at every single issue of the day and thoughtfully and prayerfully consider um, candidates for positions through the lens of the Bible, then we're always 100% of the time going to get it right. And anytime we mix a little Bible with a little loyalty to the Republican Party or the Democrat Party, then I think we start to miss the truth. And if if we if we vote and follow in lockstep with one party or another, when that party happens to be at odds with the Word of God, 
oftentimes we're so swept up into these these uh, lesser of two evil uh, phenomenon that we as voters have created, ironically enough. Um, and I think we miss it. And I think we miss a lot. And um, kind of brings me to talking about um, Michael Bloomberg for a second. Um, this article <clears throat> that I see here. Uh, it is, uh, let me find it in the stack. Um, three members of Congressional Black Caucus endorsed Bloomberg following stop and frisk controversy. And if you uh, are not up to speed with this one, um, some audio has surfaced of Michael Bloomberg um, saying some very um, candid things as far as his opinion is concerned of where, as mayor, he deployed um, police resources and his uh, opinions on stop and frisk, and and let me let me just say right there, um, stop and frisk is unconstitutional any way you slice it, and it's one of those issues that I think Democrats and Republicans can kind of agree on, um, and I don't know where. And when stop and frisk ever became a conservative thing, but it certainly, <clears throat> excuse me, is not if you think about it. Um, I don't care if you are black, um, Hispanic, white, male, female, old, young, um, have a burqa on. You should not be stopped for that reason and be compelled by law enforcement to uh, <clears throat> get up against the wall and um, be subject to a frisk. Um, that is that is profiling that is wrong. And if you are a Republican and you think it's right, um, you're missing it because Republicans usually are, are much more in lockstep with the Constitution than our friends on the left are. But um, there's nothing that offends me more and any of you that have heard my show for any length of time understand this, is selective outrage where if someone with a D next to their name does something wrong and you jump on a table and you yell and scream about it and demagogue an issue just to you know make sure that the Democrat is buried and dead, um, and then later the Republican does the same thing months down the road or years down the road and you're silent, well... That goes back to what I said before. You're not looking at the issues of the day through the prism of the Bible. You're looking at it um, as if this were some kind of a game where if the Republican wins, it's all good. It's all fair. If the Democrat loses, then um, you know mission accomplished. And, and the truth gets urinated on when our allegiance is to a party rather than um, – the most high God and his word. And, and this, um, Michael Bloomberg audio is really bugging the crap out of me because, and I, I won't name names, but there are Republican pundits out there, guys on the radio that are using this to, um, race bait and paint Michael Bloomberg into uh, being something that he maybe is or maybe isn't. This really doesn't prove it. Um, and they're using it just to make him look bad. And they're, they, um, this, ar this article happens to address stop and frisk. But this one 
announcer that I that will remain nameless um, make goes out of his way to say this isn't about stop and frisk. This is about Michael Bloomberg's blanket statements about disproportionate um, uh, crime statistics that involve black people. And it really isn't about that. But that makes Michael look, Bloomberg look bad. So the Republicans will play that audio over and over and over again. And the reason this particular talk show host doesn't even bring up stop and frisk and goes out of his way to say this is not about stop and frisk is because one of his buddies that happens to have an R next to his name, Rudy Giuliani, was the king of stop and frisk. Stop and frisk in New York was was um, the the brainchild, if you will, of Rudy Giuliani, and pandering to low IQ Republicans, saying um, stop and frisk is good, crime bad, justice good, Fox good, CNN bad, um, appealing to these low IQ individuals. He would uh, forward stop and frisk and tout how the crime rates in the city precipitously dropped. Um, I'm as much for crime rates dropping as anybody is, but throwing citizens of different skin colors or different religions or ethnicities or age groups or whatever you want up against the wall and and frisking them just because you can, is is unconstitutional, it's un-American, it's not conservative, and I just get really angry when, if a Democrat um, who, uh, you know, doesn't have the wherewithal to understand the Constitution or human rights advocates for that, it's bad, but if a Republican forwards it, such as Rudy Giuliani, it's good. Now, there, there is a classic example right there of what I call selective outrage, and I can't stand it. I hate it. Um, Michael Bloomberg's statements that may or may not get him in trouble with the African-American community have very little to do, in my opinion, with some of the things he said about resources being used disproportionately in black neighborhoods and have almost everything to do with the fact that regardless of color, you should not be stopping and frisking people for no reason at all other than cause. All right. So I, I wanted to be very clear with that. And it really bugs me when uh, quote unquote conservatives or quote unquote Republicans seem to be so outraged about something when it benefits their candidate with an R next to their name. And then they're absolutely silent when their candidates do the same thing. So this article here says three members of the Congressional Black Caucus endorsed Bloomberg following stop and frisk controversy. Former New York City Mayor Michael Bloomberg has picked up key endorsements following his controversial comments on New York's stop and frisk policy. Representatives Lucy McBath and Gregory Meeks plus Stacey Plaskett the congressional representative of the U.S. Virgin Islands, all Democratic members of the Congressional Black Caucus, have endorsed Bloomberg for president. The members of Congress cite Bloomberg's record on gun laws, while also adding he has the greatest chance to beat Trump in 2020. 
again, uh, that is a is a is a paragraph chock full of material that we could do the whole show on. So basically, frisking young black men, depriving young black men of their right to uh, carry guns for protection. Um, can be overlooked by these members of the Black Congressional Caucus as long as that candidate can beat Donald Trump. Do you understand how disturbing it is when you as a voter put your ideals and your um, morals aside and, and take your Bible and just put it in the closet and hold your nose and vote for somebody just because they can beat the other person? Do you know how twisted that is? Because it, this this lesser of two evils scenario that we have created by doing just that really leads to not a dime's worth of difference between most Republican and most Democrat candidates. So second paragraph goes on to say, I first met Mike when I was searching for ways to fight against the dangerous gun laws that ripped my son from my life, Macbeth, whose son was shot and killed, said, Mike gave grieving mothers like me a way to stand up and fight back. Um, again, I, I'm extraordinarily sorry for the loss that this lady has had. I, I can't fathom losing their son or a, a kid to gun violence. But um, taking guns away from from law-abiding citizens are throwing people up against the wall, as as Michael Bloomberg suggested, and scaring the crap out of them and frisking them for no reason at all is really just not even close to the same thing. Um, the two are, are not even in the same category. And to blur these things and demagogue this and say that this guy can urinate on the Constitution just because he wants to rid the landscape of guns is really short-sighted and, and stupid, in my opinion. Um, the most vulnerable communities in America, they go on to say, cannot weather another four years of a Donald Trump presidency, Meeks said in a statement. Too much is on the line to allow that to happen. We don't really have to go too far back than last week's show to chronicle how these vulnerable communities in America have benefited tremendously from um, the uh, opportunity zones that Donald Trump has um, championed, the economy that Donald Trump is pretty much single-handedly responsible for. Um, many of these communities that the uh, person in this article is referring to are African-American communities. The unemployment rate in the African-American communities that he is talking about is at a 50-year low. So um, I think it was said best by somebody on the radio. I'd like to give them credit, but I don't realize I don't recall who it was. But they said that the Democrats' biggest problem in this election cycle, and I think it was kind of a witty statement, but it's very apt. Um, they are forwarding solutions to problems that don't exist. And when you have just a template of eat the rich, strip people of guns and their rights, um, tax the crap out of people, um, redistribute wealth as, as Bernie Sanders likes to do, if that is your mantra, 
year after year, decade after decade, um, it may very well work when the economy stinks and people are pissed off for one reason or another. But in the climate that we're now in, where a lot of people are are fat and happy and really digging their 401k at the end of the month when they see it, many of these template issues that Democrats are forwarding with solutions that really aren't solutions, um, they don't fly. And Democrats do very well when economies are terrible and People are angry, um, black angry with white, old angry with young, female angry with male, rich angry with poor. They thrive in situations like that because when people are agitated and problems have been caused by Democrat policies, who has the audacity to come in and say, we're going to fix the problem? Democrats. Hmm. Um, the fact that they caused the problem is not even on the radar screen, uh, but they love it when they can cause a problem and then come in with a, uh, a solution. And there's so many different stratas in this country of uh, race and creed and color and age that are doing very well and will continue to do well probably up until November of this year at the least, that Offering solutions to problems that don't exist is a losing proposition, and um, but that does not stop them from trying to continue to do this. Um, this is another interesting article, and we can talk about uh, socialism and communism if you'd like to do that. Um, South Carolinians don't want socialism. No crap. Um, Democrat slams Bernie Sanders ahead of state primary. A Democratic congressman from South Carolina said his state has no interest in the brand of socialism that Senator Bernie Sanders would have to offer as president. Representative Joe Cunningham, one of the two Democratic congressmen in the state of South Carolina, criticized Sanders on Wednesday after his narrow primary win in New Hampshire asserting the far-left candidate will never become the nominee. South Carolinians don't want socialism, Cunningham told local media. We want to know how you are going to get things done and how you're going to pay for them. Bernie's proposals to raise taxes on almost everyone is not something the low country wants and something I'd ever support. Cunningham, who unseated a Republican in 2018, by campaigning as a centrist Democrat, said he will not endorse a candidate in the 2020 race before the February 29th primary in South Carolina. He's a smart man. When asked if he'd support Sanders, should he become the party's nominee for president, Cunningham rejected the premise. Bernie Sanders will not be the nominee, he said. This guy's kind of a bright guy. Um, Sanders took second place in Iowa, falling just behind former South Bend, Indiana Mayor Pete Buttigieg. That's up for debate. In South Carolina, former Vice President Joe Biden holds a commanding lead with 31% support, according to Real Clear Politics polling average. Now, this was just a couple days ago, February 12th. Um, this goes back to what I was saying before and other people have said about the chaos in the Democrat Party. Um, 
don't for a second think that Joe Biden's out of this just because he did some, um, you know, he, he blew off his victory party and, <clears throat> and uh, you know, went on to Nevada to do some campaigning. Um, the problem here is we have a very big country. And as much as we all get nervous about socialism and communism and the fact that Bernie Sanders could very well have won the Democrat nomination in 2016 and could very well win it again if the fix was not in, and it is, and he won't become the nominee for a whole host of reasons. Uh, he's just got too many people against him, both Republican and Democrat. Um, but when we hear those words, socialism, communism, we get very nervous as well as well we should. Um and and I think we, as conservatives, we should be concerned that that a candidate such as this, even being in the Democrat Party, has gotten as far as he has. But I think when you hear this um, congressman, uh, this Democrat congressman from South Carolina, I think it makes us pause a little bit and and understand something that um, even though it may seem that the world is going to hell in a handbasket and nobody really understands what socialism or communism is. Um, the fact of the matter remains, there are enough reasonable, if you will, Democrats, centrist Democrats in many, many um, areas of this country that will never support, well, not never, but in the, in the short term or in the here and now, support somebody such as Bernie Sanders. Now, to Bernie's credit, he does sugarcoat who he is. Um, he throws the word democratic socialism around. Um, he doesn't say that he is a flaming Marxist. However, um, he, he also, uh, he, we have to give him credit, he does use the word socialism. And the, the, the far more dangerous folks on the left are the people that are intelligent enough not to use the word socialism. And I think right now would probably be a good time to go to the old Webster's Dictionary and um, articulate what socialism is. Um, it's very simple. It says a political and economic theory of social organization, which advocates that the means of production, distribution, and exchange should be owned or regulated by the community as a whole. Now, that that's a little misleading. It almost sounds like a co-op where the masses um, have a stake in in uh, in business and um, in, in 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 reality, um, when they say community, they're really meaning the state. The state is in bed with business. And as Mitt Romney said, when he did, you know, he, he's been in the news for a lot of bad things lately, but when he absolutely cleaned the clock of Barack Obama in the first presidential debate, debate in 2016, he rightly said, um, you're picking winners and losers. And um, and then he, he quipped, um, you know, most people that are socialists pick winners and losers. You just pick losers. And he was right. Um, so missing from that definition, um, and I think it is rather glaring, that the state is very much involved in um, 
who succeeds as a business and their relationship with business is very cozy and that's always problematic. Um, Communism, on the other hand, a little bit different, kind of a cousin to socialism, a political theory derived from Karl Marx advocating class war and leading to a society in which all property is publicly owned and each person works and is paid according to their abilities and needs. Um, Very dangerous. Um, as um, as was articulated in my book a few years ago, and I wanted to, I know reading over the radio is a little bit boring, but um, the the, um, the 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 statements by some of Bernie Sanders' um, heroes, if you will, are extraordinarily troubling. Um, guys like Joseph Stalin, Karl Marx, uh, Vladimir Lenin, these are people that. Um, you know, you and I may have gone through school um, idolizing George Washington or Abraham Lincoln. This guy, in his formative years and up until his 78 years of age, he reveres guys like Stalin, Marx, and Lenin. And the reason he gets away with it, particularly among young people, is young people have not taken the time to study what communism or socialism is about and how detrimental it is. And furthermore, as it pertains to faith-based voters, which we have a lot of in the audience, um, I will read uh, just a simple paragraph here that I wrote um, to give you kind of a working understanding of how um, incompatible um, a Bernie Sanders or Bernie Sanders type ideology is with the word of God. But let me just read a few quotes from some of Bernie Sanders heroes. Joseph Stalin said, you know, they are fooling us. There is no God. All this talk about God is sheer nonsense. Karl Marx said, communism begins where atheism begins. And the first requisite for the happiness of the people is the abolition of religion. Marx also said atheism is a natural and inseparable part of Marxism. And lastly, uh, Vladimir Lenin said, it is true that liberty is precious, so precious that it must be carefully rationed. And give me four years to teach the children, and the seed I have sown will never be uprooted. Um, A comment that liberty is precious, so precious that it must be carefully rationed, is is tantamount to saying a woman can be a little bit pregnant. Either you're pregnant or you're not. Either you have liberty in your community, state, government, um, country, or you do not. Um, and this is uh, what I wrote earlier uh, before quoting some of Bernie Sanders' heroes. And let me uh, just indulge me. It says, a notable common denominator of totalitarian freedom-squelching regimes is their penchant for eradicating God from the landscape. So right now I'm talking to you faith-based voters out there. There are many reasons that these forms of government seek to prohibit their citizens from free worship. A belief in God, even a false God, stirs an individual to hope. If the state is to be all-powerful, its citizens must be dispirited, not hopeful. Their foolish worship of an invisible God must be extinguished. 
lest they derive any comfort other than that which is benef- um, um, ben- uh, beneficently, that's a tough word, I can't believe I wrote it, beneficently piecemealed out by the state. For any totalitarian regime to thrive, its citizens must look to it, not to God, for its sustenance. And then I go on to, uh, as I did before, quote some of um, Bernie Sanders' heroes uh, of the day. Um, you look over the course of time when um, any of these Nazis, socialists, communistic, uh, totalitarian, despotic regimes come to power, they do two things right quick. They get rid of God and they get rid of the family. Because if the citizen does not have a God to cry out to or is not free to worship the God of their choice, and they are not to lean on the um, sound workings of an intact family unit, uh, a mom and a dad, brothers, sisters that are nurturing an individual and helping that individual navigate life. If you take those two very, very important entities out of the equation, then you've stripped away a lot of hope. And the individual being stripped naked of those things in a in a system where there is no freedom, there is no liberty, um, can almost assuredly turn to the next um, common, uh, you know, uh, thing that we all have in common, which is the state and government make no mistake in these types of systems wants to be God. They want to be mom. They want to be dad. They want to be the family. They want to be the provider. They want to be the disseminator, if you will, of what's right and what's wrong, always cloaked under, um, the guise of this is in your best interest, but in reality, it is in the best interest of the state and um, a few choice individuals that benefit from a system such as that. So when we have in our churches today people that are Bernie supporters, um, we can approach that a couple different ways. We can be reactive and say, what are you, nuts? And, and try to articulate some of the things I've just articulated. Or... We can try to understand why they think that way and why they may praise Jesus on Sunday and vote for Bernie Sanders on Tuesday. And if we if we try to understand um, why an individual would do something like that, then we are um, much more equipped to help an individual over the course of time understand that it is absolutely incompatible for somebody to look to the word of God on all the major issues of the day and then vote for somebody that would promote a godless um, dogma or ism, if you will, such as the um, ideology, uh, the ideologies that Bernie Sanders espouses. And to a lesser extent, his competitors espouse. As I said earlier in the show, they're just more intelligent on how they package it, but it's the same old, same old. Um, they're they're intelligent enough to tickle the ears of the faith faith based voter 
and, you know, say cute little things like Nancy Pelosi says um, that she's praying for the president. And um, as Bill Clinton used to do back in the Monica Lewinsky days, um, be filmed um, with a Bible in his hand, kissing his wife on the cheek as uh, as they were going or going or coming from church. Um, uh, and, and Republicans do it. Uh, to um, using the Bible as a prop. Um, and people don't like it when I say this, but there's no other way to say it. Whoring out Jesus, if you will, uh, to their own political benefit. Um, they will say just enough of the God stuff to make individuals um, and sometimes sadly faith-based voters actually um, not critically look at the personal life or the legislative record or the record of governance of the politicians that they vote for. And I believe um, personally as my calling, and, and I uh, call out to you to do the same thing, to pick individuals in your life, at your church, in your community, in your orb, if you will, in your family, if you will, and I know that gets sticky, that may be born-again believers. They may go to church. They may have uh, ideals or morals that you feel that are the backbone of this country, but they might have a Bernie Sanders sticker, uh, a bumper sticker on their car, or they may have, um, you know, Christians for Buttigieg or whatever. And, and rather than shaking your head and say, what in the world are you thinking? As I said earlier, try to understand why they are trying to mix these two worlds that just um, are so incompatible, it's not even funny. And once you understand that, and, and I will tell you that most of the time, um, two things are in play when you see um, bumper stickers that say um, faith-based voters for Hillary or whatever. Um, two things are, are clearly in place. Uh, one is ignorance. That may not be the primary reason, but many people are very ignorant and don't pay attention to the um, legislative or record of, or record of governance of a politician or that politician's personal life. And they may just say, you know, um, I like them. I'm a Christian. I, uh, but uh, religion and politics don't mix, right? That's what our parents told us. Uh, never talk about religion and politics in public. So you have that phenomenon where someone will have their born-again Christian hat on for 48 weeks of the year, conveniently take it off, put on their political hat for four weeks, get all whipped up, um, pull the trigger for some person that in their personal life and in their political life have absolutely nothing to do with the word of God. And then when the smoke clears and the damage is done, they conveniently put their Christian hat back on. Now, I believe personally that everything we do in life should be through the prism of WWJD or what would Jesus do? So, um, I know that's not something that all evangelicals espouse to, but I personally believe that God is very much interested in who you vote for. Um, I'm not perhaps how I was 10, 15 years ago and obsessed with that. I think there are many other things to uh, be concerned about. But nonetheless, I do think God is very much concerned and charges us to pay attention to the issues of the day and 
not throw a bumper sticker on our car of someone that does not have the values or is not forwarding the same things that um, our Lord and Savior would like us to forward uh, when we take up space on this earth. Um, secondly, and probably the, the primary reason, um, ignorance is one of the reasons, but one of the primary reasons that this phenomenon takes place is um, we kind of shoot the messenger. Um, as powerful and almighty as Jesus Christ is, unbelievably, he gets lost in the discussion when you have people that are assigning um, uh, are looking at Christianity and they see the face of somebody that is hardly Christ-like and um, and when when they associate Christ with somebody down here on earth, it's usually not someone that, espouses Christ-like beliefs. It's a lot of times usually somebody that's overzealous, has no tact, um, has no time or patience for people that may think a different way and doesn't see it as their obligation to attract rather than repel. It's easier to call that person's names, put them in a box and um, dispatch them as the enemy, when in reality, we should be trying as hard as we can to lead them ultimately to Jesus Christ. But um, as it pertains to politics, having a discussion about, well, why do you hate Republicans? Why do you hate faith-based voters? Why do you hate evangelicals? Why do you hate the Christian right? You get a lot of very interesting answers to those questions if you ask them. But if you don't give a rat's rear end about somebody on the left side of the aisle with a D next to their name, you don't ask those questions. You really don't care. You believe in your stuff. They believe in their stuff. Let's both hunker down and um, and let's start the battle. When in reality, you should be picking five to ten people in your orb every given year and try to get to understand them and understand why they think the way they think. And um, you would be amazed if each and every one of us did that, how the landscape would change dramatically. Um, all these stereotypes that Democrats are just dot, dot, dot. All oh, those Republicans are just dot, dot, dot. And a lot of entities, uh, both on the left and the right, CNN and Fox, um, do their best to continue to keep people angry with each other and not understanding one another. And it's really sad, but I just have this mental picture of Jesus up in heaven looking at this dysfunctional ping pong match that we're all having down here with his hands folded like nothing I could do. I am the most powerful God um, and I could change situations by blinking an eye but there's absolutely nothing I can do because you guys are just getting in the way of what I'm trying to achieve. Um, that's just the way I look at it. It's kind of um, kind of interesting, but um, I've noticed that over the course of time. And, uh, you know, it, nothing's ever going to get done if we keep doing it that way. So um, that was my long uh, diatribe about that. Um, 
this is an interesting one. Um, and, th- and this just goes to the dysfunction and the chaos that is out there right now. You will see articles saying Joe Biden's done, stick a fork in him. And then you'll see other ones that say things like I said earlier in the show, you know, uh, let's wait till Nevada and South Carolina. And and um, and as these um, members of the Congressional Black Caucus um, said in this article that I read, they're absolutely cool with uh, Michael Bloomberg, despite some of the crazy things that he said um, or that have been dug up. So if anybody thinks they have this thing figured out, they don't. And and I print articles that absolutely from the same source that absolutely one opinion piece contradicts another opinion piece. This one says they should be terrified. Republicans fear Bloomberg as Biden fades. With Joe Biden staggering, confidence in President Trump's reelection is soaring inside a once concerned Republican establishment with only Michael Bloomberg among remaining Democrat contenders identified as a moral threat, or excuse me, (laughs) uh, mortal threat. Biden placed a demoralizing fifth in New Hampshire primary and in interviews on Wednesday, nearly a dozen senior Republican strategists dismissed the top three finishers. I think it's a little premature to do that. Um, And said that their top tier is fatally flawed. I would agree with that. Bernie Sanders is too liberal to beat Trump in key suburban and Midwestern battlegrounds, they claim. I would agree with that. Pete Buttigieg and Amy Klobuchar are too weak with non-white voters. That's accurate. A core Democratic constituency that would need to turn out strongly for any Democrat to win, and that is being aggressively wooed by the president. And, And make no mistake, Donald Trump is not resting on his laurels and his recent uh, victory and surge in popularity. He is not taking that for granted. He is he is going after heretofore constituency groups that Republicans would only um, roll their eyes about and not even attempt to uh, to go to. He 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 shows up in cities. I predict that in the next eight months before this election, he's going to show up in areas that you would never heretofore see a Republican show up in um, the bowels of major cities that are 80% Democrat, um, states that are just clearly blue states. Um, he's he's not leaving Iraq unturned. And um, and I, I think if you're a Democrat, that, that does make you a little bit nervous. Um, But this article says Bloomberg suffers from those same vulnerabilities, but the billionaire media mogul has one undisputed advantage that the Republican insiders uh, that that leaves the Republican insiders on edge. And that is money. The former New York City mayor has invested more than three hundred and fifty million since late November, fielding a campaign so massive that it amounts to a shadow political party. Republicans take seriously Bloomberg's promise to spend whatever it takes to oust Trump and concede the gambit could work. Right now, Bloomberg is the biggest threat to President Trump in the fall, said Jason Miller, a former Trump advisor who, along with Steve Bannon, co-hosts War Room 2020, a podcast and syndicated radio program. They should be terrified of Bloomberg, a Republican ad writer said. The magnitude of his financial advantage could overwhelm them. Um let me stop right there. 
the Donald Trump phenomenon is something that has heretofore never been seen in American politics. So as much as this article asserts that he and the Republicans that want him to be reelected in 2020 should be quaking in their boots over Michael Bloomberg, I think is a bit of a stretch. I have always warned on the show um, that Donald Trump nor his supporters should ever, ever get cocky. Um, doesn't really sound like he is. Um, but And that's why I always temper any predictions with you never know. Um, still in this country, there's a fair amount of people that will vote for um, anyone with a pulse that has a D next to their name. And that's always going to be scary because that is a very healthy percentage of, of the electorate. However, um, we really don't have to go too far to, to see that the money thing does not always equate to success. Um, can anybody say Jeb Bush? $125 million. That's a lot of money. 3% in the polls. Um, never got over 3%. With all of that money. Now, does if Bloomberg ends up to be the candidate, um, is he going to be helped at uh, all our major universities in Hollywood, in the media, um, uh, social media? He, he's he's got so many people pulling for him and so much money. Is it concerning? Of course it is, but. The Donald Trump phenomenon is the Donald Trump phenomenon, and you are not going to thwart that with money. Um, he has enough problems, um, these recent audio tapes of him just being w one of several, that um, will not sit well with enough Republicans that may vote Democrat from time to time or Democrats that are centrist Democrats that vote Republican from time to time, that those two categories of people, um, Michael Bloomberg has, has done enough things that are offensive to them. And uh, we're winding down as far as time is concerned here, but stop and frisk just being one of them. Um, we used to call him affectionately Mr. Big Gulp as he regulated, mm -hmm. as many of you know, the size of... Um, uh, sodas that could be sold in New York City, regulated um, uh, restaurants, uh, not to uh, edicts from up on high, not to put salt in the tables of restaurants. I mean, the, these are these are pretty dictatorial things. And for all of the jokes and comments about Donald Trump being fascistic and dictatorial, um, if you really want to take the time to look at the record of both of those men. The one who is much more intrusive, dictatorial, fascistic um, is certainly Michael Bloomberg. So um, is his money uh, and, and the the, um, the fact that he has a lot of it and he he's willing to spend it wherever and however? Yeah, that's something to be concerned about. But uh, I think at the end of the day, he is um, he is a neophyte in, in personality in compared to Donald Trump. Um in debates, I don't really see how that works out for him. And as I said before, his record is um, is quite abysmal on, in many areas that would be off-putting to some of the core constituency groups that he would have to sway to vote for him. So I don't see it happening, but 
it could, but I, uh, I don't take, uh, at, at whole hog this premise that Republicans should be terrified of Michael Bloomberg. This has been Reshaping America, talking politics today. Um, you have a good day and we will get you on the other side.